The sermon title today is Love for Jesus, and the text is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. In fact, only the first half of that verse where we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. The Apostle Peter writes, Though you have not seen him, referring to Jesus, you love him. The question I want us to ponder today is this, do you love him? Do you love Jesus Christ? I don't ask if you go to church. I do not ask if you read the Bible. I do not ask if you believe in God. These are important questions, but today I'm asking you this, do you love Jesus Christ? There is perhaps no question more important than this one. So important is this question that Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Despite this, I fear many today have not, never honestly asked, asked themselves this question even once. What is considered authentic Christianity by many people today is a far cry from the Christianity of the Bible. What has characterized true Christians in the past and what continues to do so today is love for Jesus Christ. Speaking of the Apostle Paul and his love for Jesus, Jonathan Edwards said this, It appears by all the Apostle Paul's expressions of himself that he was in the course of his life inflamed, actuated, and entirely swallowed up by a most ardent love to his glorious Lord, esteeming all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of him and esteeming them but dung that he might win him. So the question is, do we know anything of this ardent love for Christ? If we don't, then we know nothing of Christianity. Today, it seems someone can be considered a Christian if they simply make a profession of faith regardless of the fact that they have not evidenced any repentance, humility, or obedience. Most poignantly, perhaps, they have not demonstrated any love for Jesus. But, as we will see today, love for Jesus is as essential to spiritual life as breathing is to physical life. The fact that this biblical truth is so neglected in our day reveals our lack of understanding concerning what it means to be a Christian. And so I want us to consider this morning loving Jesus Christ under four general headings. We will consider love for Jesus as the baseline of Christian discipleship. We will consider love for Jesus as an immediate effect of the new birth. And we will consider love for Jesus, number three, as the radical root of all obedience to God's commandments. And fourthly, we'll consider love for Jesus as the preeminent mark of the true Christian. So we will go through those briefly. Number one, love for Jesus Christ is the baseline of Christian discipleship. A baseline is a starting point. The love for Jesus is the baseline and foundation of all Christian discipleship ought to need no defense. J.C. Ryle said, love to Christ is the common meeting point of believers of every branch of Christ's church on earth. 
It is step one. Why trust a Savior? Why obey a Savior you do not love? If you are a Christian, you love Jesus. Now that Jesus demanded such love from his followers is plain to any honest inquirer of the Gospels. We read in Matthew 10, 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And it's noteworthy that later Jesus lists the great and first commandment as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind in Matthew chapter 22. Now only God himself could rightly command people to love him more than everything else. Jesus demanded this love as the baseline of Christian discipleship. You see, love for Jesus is not something reserved for more mature Christians. If we are to grant, and I'm not necessarily a fan of the way this term is used, if we're to grant the use of the term baby Christian, let us also grant this as well. Such a baby Christian will have a love for Jesus Christ that surpasses all other loves in his or her life. Love for Jesus is not a higher plane of Christian experience. It's not you become a Christian, you don't love Jesus, and then when you mature, you develop that love for Jesus. Love for Jesus is the singular characteristic of every true Christian, young or old, recently converted or seasoned saint. It is not a love for religion. It is not a love for the idea of a Savior. It is love for Jesus himself. And love for Jesus is a truth which even a child, the youngest of children, can grasp. It is that point which Ryle said, upon which we ought to especially dwell in teaching religion to children. He went on and said this, that Jesus loved them even to his death, and that they ought to love him in return is a creed which meets the spans the span of children's minds. There are myriads of Christians who know every article of the Athanasian, Nicene, and Apostolic creeds, and yet know less of real Christianity than a little child who only knows that he loves Christ. So if a person does not love Jesus, if he does not love to think about him, love to hear about him, love to talk about him, love to abide with him, then he has not met the most basic baseline level of Christian discipleship. The last verse of Ephesians says this, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. For those who do not love Jesus, there is no grace. There is no Christianity without love for Jesus. And it's important to keep this in mind as we consider claims made by many people, whether it's celebrities or politicians, that people would like to say, well, this person's a Christian. They made some vague confession of faith, and yet you see no love for Jesus in their life. To continue to believe that such a person is a Christian is perhaps based out of desire, a hope that this person will become a Christian. And yet, if we see no love for Jesus in their lives, we're doing a disservice to what the Bible presents as Christian discipleship. If we say, well, this person's just a baby Christian, um, because in time they'll demonstrate love for Jesus. 
The Bible knows uh, no such idea. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Love for Jesus is the baseline of Christian discipleship. That's number one. Number two, love for Jesus is an immediate effect of the new birth. When the Holy Spirit moves and changes someone's heart and causes them to be born again, love for Christ is awakened in their heart. It is love for Christ that is stirred in the soul of a man or woman when he or she is converted to Christ. Love for Christ is that inevitable and irresistible response to being saved from sin, death, and damnation. The Bible teaches that in order for someone to become a Christian, they must be born again, John 3.3. There must be a radical transformation, a new birth. The Baptist Confession notes that in the new birth, a person has, quote, a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. This new birth causes the sinner to see the true nature of his sin and his desperate need for salvation. This new birth causes the sinner to see the beauty of Christ and the wonderful reality of forgiveness of sins in Christ. Because the new birth produces repentance and faith, it also produces love for Christ. See, the new birth is intricately tied to being forgiven, and therefore it will produce a great love for the one who died so that you could be forgiven. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 to see this point illustrated by the Lord himself. Luke chapter 7, and we'll see the connection between love for Jesus and being forgiven for your sins, which when we are born again, we are awakened to the reality of our sin and the wonderful blessing of forgiveness of sin for those who trust in Christ. In Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, we see the story of a sinful woman who's forgiven by Jesus, a woman who was probably looked on, especially by the religious elite in the society, as a um, very uh, notorious sinner, looked down upon as one who uh, was not walking in the commandments of the Lord. And we read in verse 36 that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him, behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And then the Lord gives this parable of the money lender, a story demonstrating that one who recognizes the immensity of the forgiveness that he or she has received will love all the more. Listen to the story. Jesus says this, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
Which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And then he closes this little section with verse 47, which I prefer the CSB here, which reads as this. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. See, in the ESV, it says, for she loved, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. And you can get the idea that because she loved so much, her sins were forgiven. But you better understand that as therefore she loved much. Her many sins have been forgiven. Therefore, she loved me so much. And she understood the immensity of her sins that have been forgiven. She could not help but love Christ to that degree. So let us rid ourselves of the idea that a person can be saved, can be born again, which must involve an understanding of our sin and the forgiveness that Christ offers. Let us rid ourselves of the idea that a person can experience that and yet have no love for the Savior. Let us jettison the thought that a person can be born again and yet have no affection for the Lord. Such a concept is foreign to biblical Christianity. That the Spirit of God would produce a work so lame in a man or woman so as not to produce love in their heart for Christ is foreign to the Bible. Jonathan Edwards said, He who has no religious affection or love for Christ is in a state of spiritual death and is wholly destitute of the powerful, quickening, saving influences of the Spirit of God upon his heart. If you have been born again, love for Jesus is one of the first things you will experience. Number three. Number three, love for Jesus is the radical root of all obedience to God's commandments. Continuing with Edwards here, he said, and he rightly said this, the affections are very much the spring of men's actions. What you love is going to determine how you act. The Bible speaks of the heart as the wellspring of life in Proverbs 4.23. It is love in the heart, therefore, that will result in the actions of godliness. It is love for Jesus which will animate and motivate growth in holiness. It is love for Jesus which will then be demonstrated in obedience. One of the most telling phrases in all the New Testament is found in John 14.15, which we read earlier, where Lord Jesus says this, very simply, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is a place for reverent fear of God. There is a place for a rightful uh, understanding of God's power and his authority. But the Christian's obedience, the Christian's obedience is ultimately motivated by love for God. The Apostle John 
the great apostle of love, as he is known, wrote, wrote this in 1 John 4, 18, 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That is the mantra of the true Christian. We love God because he loved us. We love Jesus because he loved us and gave his life for us. But don't misunderstand John. A lot of people like to talk about love in our culture and throw out phrases from the Apostle John. God is love and love this and love that. But don't misunderstand John. The love that he speaks of is an obedience-producing, commandment-abiding, sin-hating type of love. In the same epistle, John says things like this. Chapter 3, verse 24, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. Chapter 4, 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In chapter 5, 2 and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Those are some things about love that the Apostle John said as well. Jesus is both Lord and God, John 20, 28. To love God is to love Jesus, and to love Jesus is to keep his commandments. So here's a brief list for some application and personal reflection. If you love Christ, you will not speak his name carelessly. Exodus 20, verse 7. You won't use his name in vain. If you love Christ, on the other hand, you will be deeply affected when Christ's name is used in vain and his law is spurned. Psalm 119, 136. If you love Christ, you will let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Ephesians 4:29. Again, if you love Christ, you keep his commandments. If you love Christ, you will depart from iniquity. You will hate sin. 2 Timothy 2:19. If you love Christ, you will flee from the sin of sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. If you love Christ, you will love children and not see them as a burden, Matthew 19, 14, and Psalm 127. If you love Christ, you will not get drunk with wine, but will be filled with the Spirit, which produces self-control, love, and patience, Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5. If you love Christ, you will gladly speak of him to others, Mark 5, verse 19. If you love Christ, you will delight in obedience to him rather than the pleasures of sin for a season, the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews 11. If you love Christ, you will delight in God's law word and store it up in your heart, Psalm 119.11. If you love Christ, you will not consider following him to be a merely peripheral component of your life. It will be the central driving force in your life, Philippians 1.21. And finally, for this short list, if you love Christ, you will be brokenhearted when you sin against him. Luke twenty-two sixty-two. The sinner saved by grace does not simply obey Jesus because he is required to, which he is. He obeys because he loves his Savior. Jesus makes it clear that a lack of love for him is the reason people don't obey him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. John 14, 24. It's really quite simple. 
as J.C. Ryle said, if we love a person, we like to please him. We are glad to consult his tastes and opinions, to act upon his advice, and to do the things which he approves. And if we love Jesus, that is how we will respond. We will obey God's commands. Love for Jesus is the radical root of all obedience to God's commands. Fourthly, and finally, love for Jesus is the preeminent mark of the true Christian. Do you seek to know whether or not you are truly in Christ? Look for love to Christ, for without love for Christ, there is no true salvation. This is why the Apostle Paul said this, and listen to this carefully. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Accursed, damned, anathema. How can Paul say that? How can he say if you have no love for Jesus, you will be cursed? Isn't faith the grounds of our salvation? Yes, we are saved by faith, but love for Jesus goes hand in hand with faith in Christ. Quoting Ryle again, he says, Great as the danger is of him that believeth not, the danger of him that loveth not is equally great. Not believing and not loving are both steps to everlasting ruin. To have faith in a Christ you do not love is as foreign a concept as can be found in the Bible. Search the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. Search the annals of church history from Athanasius to Zwingli. Search your own experience and those who have demonstrated something of that holy zeal for the things of God. And the report will always and ever be the same. All those who believe in Christ love Christ. Listen to Ryle again. Love to Christ is the inseparable companion of saving faith. A faith of devils, a mere intellectual faith, a man may have without love, but not that faith which saves. There will always be heart love to Christ with real justifying faith in Christ. He that is really forgiven is the man who will really love. He says, if a man has no love to Christ, you may be sure He has no faith. So if one has true faith, it means he has the spirit of Christ. And if one has the spirit of Christ, then he will demonstrate that distinguished characteristic of the fruit of the spirit, which is love. Right? In Galatians 5.22, it should not surprise us that Paul lists love first in his list of the various components of the fruit of the spirit. Love is that defining characteristic of the Christian. That this love begins with a love for Christ and then expands to a love for other believers and other men is evident to every diligent student of the New Testament. There is one thing, Ryle says, in a true Christian which is eminently peculiar to him. That thing is love to Christ. So love for Christ is a preeminent mark of the true Christian. In conclusion, for all that has been said in these four points, And all that is taught in Scripture, it is a peculiar thing that many today will consider a man or a woman, a Christian, who does not demonstrate love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many who would consider themselves Christian today and yet know nothing of love for Jesus. 
They speak of Jesus as a religious reality, perhaps, but they do not love him. They may love their spouse. They may love their children. They may love or hate the president or cats or chocolate, but they know nothing of that burning love for Christ that led the Apostle Paul to say the love of Christ controls us. Jesus said you will recognize them by their fruit. And yet that singular conspicuous fruit of love for Christ is strikingly absent from so many who are considered Christian today. Have they knowledge of the Bible? So does the atheistic scholar. Have they interest in church services? So does the religious pagan. Do they see themselves as sinners? The same could be said of Esau, but he had no love for the Christ of the blessing he sought. Have they a desire to hear the Bible taught? King Herod desired as much, and yet he had no love for Christ or his messenger. All public expressions of piety are useless and shallow apart from a heart love for Christ. Of these truths, the judicious reader of the Bible cannot contend. Nevertheless, the dismal state of Christianity in our day has led multitudes to consider themselves and others to be followers of Jesus, even though they have no love for the Savior. No doubt part of the problem, part of the reason for this problem is a low view of salvation, a low view of conversion, and a low view of the new birth. And so how do we begin to remedy this problem? First, we have to have a proper and biblical conception of salvation, and then we can once again have that proper conception of love for Christ as the fruit of that salvation. We need to begin again, like the prophet Ezekiel, to preach the old truths of supernatural regeneration and holy consecration to God. We need to correct that noxious error that the Apostle John did two millennia ago, that error which insists a man can be saved from sin and yet not be consecrated to God in holy obedience, that someone could be saved and yet not love Jesus. We need to, like the Native American in the story I'm about to tell, have a proper understanding of the despair and ruin from which Christ has saved us. Then, and only then, will we have love for Jesus, the Savior of wretched, pitiable sinners. So let me conclude with the story from J.C. Ryle. And many of these points today, I was inspired by J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness, and this chapter on Lovest Thou Me, about love for Christ. And in that chapter he tells this story of a native american man said a thoughtless ungodly english traveler to a north american indian convert man what is the reason that you make so much of christ and talk so much about him what has this christ done for you that you should make so much ado about him the converted indian did not answer him in words He gathered together some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm and put it in the middle of the ring. He struck a light and set the moss and leaves on fire. The flame soon rose and the heat scorched the worm. It writhed in agony and after trying in vain to escape on every side, curled itself up in the middle as if about to die in despair. At that moment, the Indian reached forth his hand, took up the worm gently and placed it on his bosom. 
Stranger, he said to the Englishman, do you see that worm? I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sins, hopeless, helpless, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who put forth the arm of his power. It was Jesus Christ who delivered me with the hand of his grace and plucked me from everlasting burnings. It was Jesus Christ who placed me, a poor, sinful worm, near the heart of his love. Stranger, that is the reason why I talk of Jesus Christ and make much of him. I am not ashamed of it because I love him. I love him. And Ryle said, if we know anything of love to Christ, may we have the mind of this North American Indian. May we never think that we can love Christ too well, live to him too thoroughly, and confess him too boldly, lay ourselves out to him for him too heartily. So in all that has been said today, let it not be thought that the true Christian loves Jesus as much as he ought. That he loves him is without question. The true Christian loves Jesus. But that the Christian loves the perfect, sinless, beautiful Savior as much as he ought is something that I find neither in my own experience nor the pages of Scripture. And Ryle said that of all the things that will surprise us most on the resurrection morning, right? When For believers, when we get to heaven, there will be many things that we learn that shock us, perhaps, surprise us, amaze us. Ryle said there's one thing that will surprise us most, more than anything else, on the resurrection morning, and that is this, that we did not love Jesus Christ more before we died, that we didn't love Jesus as we ought to while on this earth. That is the thing that will surprise us most, J.C. Ryle says, when we see Christ in all his beauty, when sin is removed from our eyesight and we see him in his all his perfections, the thing that will shock us most is not what God should have done for us, but how much more we should have loved Jesus. And so may the prayer of the true believer be that of Elizabeth Prentice. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee, more love to thee. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we do not love you as we ought. Help us. Help us to love beautiful, perfect Savior Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For those that don't know you, that you would awaken that love in their hearts by the power of your Spirit. And that we would love you and not be ashamed of you to speak of you, to live for you, because we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.